joining us tonight here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and my wife Sherry is joining us, and we're going to be continuing our Bible study tonight on The Believer's Authority by Andrew Womack. And uh, we'll be in chapter 14 tonight, How Does Revival Come? So we're talking about uh, The Believer's Authority, and we'll uh, get to that in just a second. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived, all of our Bible studies are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And so you can get all of our teachings and, and, and archives there. And, and um, just, we also want to say thank you to all those who have supported us with their tithes and their offerings. To, and you can get all that information through our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. And you go to the Give page and you can give online and follow the prompts there. It's very easy. And the second place you can do that is if you go to the bottom of every page, you have our mailing address. And if you if that's your desire, you can send us a check, uh, make checks payable to uh, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. So anyway, thank you for doing that. And uh, um, like I said, we're going to be in chapter 14 tonight. We're talking about how does revival come. And we're talking about the believer's authority. As believers, we have authority. And specifically, we've been talking the last few weeks about prayer. And how, how does prayer work with uh, praying for the lost? How does prayer work with uh, seeing people get saved? And uh, and so we've been talking a lot about that. And and basically one thing that we, we came to the summary of is that people don't get born again because you pray for them. Now, we were supposed to pray for laborers. And... Um, and bring laborers into the harvest. And there's other things that we can talk about. When last week was a very powerful lesson. We, we mentioned three things that we can do. I'm trying to go back here real quick just as a recap. And uh, three things we can do in praying for the lost. How do people get saved? Well, they hear the gospel. They believe the gospel are saved. So they don't get saved by a prayer. They get saved because they heard the gospel, believe the gospel, and were saved. Okay? And so... So we need to, uh, so how do we pray for the lost? If, if people, is prayer worthless? No, it's not worthless. It's very powerful. But we have, first of all, we pray for laborers. And second of all, we can pray that the, the word that they, excuse me, the word that they have heard will come to the remembrance. Okay. And the third thing we can pray is that uh, uh, um, uh, the devil, stand against the devil. In other words, uh, you know, it, 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 the, the devil can blind their minds and whatnot. And, you know, we can pray all three of those prayers. And every time we pray, our prayers work. But people have the, 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 the free will from God to reject it. If it's not a free will, uh, then it's not love. Okay? God, isn't, God can't force us to be saved. If we don't want to be saved, then we don't have to be saved. If we want to go to hell, then we can go to hell. Okay, but God gave us a free will to reject him or to receive him. Okay, so there's three things we can pray for. We can pray that for laborers, and when we're praying for laborers, we need to be willing to be a laborer ourselves. Second thing is we can pray that the scripture that they have heard, that seed, will come to the remembrance, because the Holy Spirit's job is to, to bring the scripture to our remembrance. And the third thing we can pray for is that the devil will stop blinding their minds. And even though we can keep praying that, and it works and it's effective, people have a choice to reject the gospel, reject it. And so we got to pray those things again and again. Okay. 
And so uh, that's, those are three things. So today we're going to ch- turn the chapter a little bit, but we're still going to be on this uh, idea of using our authority as believers. Because we're talking about what authority is, but we also have to understand what our authority is not. Okay? And I keep using the illustration of a police officer. A police officer, <coughs> excuse me, doesn't have jurisdiction in multiple cities or... A sheriff doesn't have a jurisdiction in multiple counties, or a state trooper, or a highway patrol, state police does not have jurisdiction in multiple states. Okay, we need to know what authority we have and what authority we don't have. Okay, they can't, they can't. Uh, a, a cop cannot be judge, jury, and executioner. Okay, that's not their job. They are a cop. They are a law enforcement officer. They are a peace officer. And they have many different titles and expressions in that way. But they have, they can only enforce, (coughs) excuse me, the laws that are represented behind that badge. And so, uh, so we're talking about authority and praying for the loss. We're going to take it to another angle. How does revival then come? Do we have a part to play in that revival? And so we're going to look at, uh, some of these things. One thing we're going to be looking at tonight is how did they pray in the New Testament? Uh, there's a way they pray in the Old Testament, but how did they pray in the New Testament? And and we're going to see how does revival come. And so we're going to be talking about that uh, beginning tonight. So anything you want to share, Sherry? Uh, no, those are, I just, I really enjoyed, personally, myself, I enjoyed last week's Bible study because of how Andrew brought out that we can't pray for example if Dave was not saved I can't pray God please save him please save him because God has already saved the whole world through Jesus Christ but not everyone has received him there's a difference and since God's already done his part through Jesus Christ his son he's And like Dave said, God has also given everyone free will. God didn't want it where everyone had to follow him, had to love him, had to bow down to him as Lord. Because that's not love. Because that's not love. Instead, God said, here, it's your choice, and I am here. I am very much here. If you seek me, you will find me. I, he makes it very clear that you cannot uh, not find him. Uh, he, he wants everyone to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But he's given that the freedom of choice, the freedom of a free will to mankind. That separates us from any other part of creation. God made mankind, men and women, into his own image. And uh, he gave us... Uh, believers authority when we are believers we just can't use that authority to make someone else do something I can't command Dave to do something or he can't command me to uh, submit to him but out of love uh, we do things for each other and 
the three things that Dave brought out that Andrew spoke on and on what we can do and how we can pray for people uh, who are not saved is pretty powerful. Uh, you know, God's word says it does not return void. And when we pray for that, that word to be remembered, that they would... For example, I'm praying for uh, some of my siblings, uh, some brothers that have walked away. Um, they're not a part of the family right now for their own reasons. Uh, but I can pray that, Lord, remind them of your word. Remind them of the word that they learned growing up about how much you love them. Uh, on All they have to do is call upon your name and you were there, uh, you were always with them. Uh, you know, just, you can't go wrong praying scripture. Uh, I also appreciate that, you know, we are to pray for laborers. Maybe family won't listen to their own family, but they might listen to another peer or a coworker or a neighbor or someone that they highly respect uh, in, in their circle of influence that can speak to them uh, the the third thing Dave said was we can uh, we can was, we can stand against the devil you know we, as the, the as a believer the believers authority that God gave us we can stand against the devil you know there's there's a couple verses that that Say, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. We can say, Satan, get out. Or however you word it, you can resist him and he will flee. But I always love the first part of those verses because they say, submit to God. What does God's word say? God's word says he loved the whole world. God's word says that he doesn't want anyone to perish. God's word says that it's his goodness that leads to repentance. It's God's words that says he so loved uh, was uh, uh, not that we loved, but he loved us. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but there's so much of God's word that we can uh, prayed for them to be reminded of that they've they've heard that seed does not go void it might be dormant for a while because of uh people being sidetracked by whatever it is in the world that's distracting them but i just i i love that andrew not just uh for lack of better terms of uh, my own words he, he corrected on how we can't pray for someone to be saved because of, of and we, we both of us already explained that, and Andrew says it very well in his book, but he gives us three answers on what we can do, what we can pray, and uh, I appreciate that about Andrew. He doesn't just say, oh, no, that doesn't work. He always says, hey, this works. All right, well, let's jump into the lesson tonight, uh, how does revival come? When revival is experienced, people are completely in love with God. 
There's a, a freshness, a vitality, and an excitement about the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In revival, the miraculous power of God is in manifestation. People are being healed, delivered, saved, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Churches are full and growing, and people from all walks of life are turning back to God. Although I agree that we need revival, it's not going to come the way most people are presently pursuing it. Most people teach that to get revival, we must plead with God, bombard heaven, and grab hold of the horns of the altar, shaking it until God comes out. They tell us that we have to make God pour out revival. That's simply not true. Okay, awesome. Uh, that's just a, a very brief introduction um, of this uh, chapter that we're getting into. You know, I just like the part where he says, you know, when revival comes, there's a, there's a completely, uh, people are completely in love with God. There's a freshness, there's a vitality, there's an excitement about the relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I experienced a revival in our high school, my, in my high school years between my sophomore year and all the way to the year after I graduated but that while I was in high school to my sophomore senior year. And uh, that was between 1980, uh, the end of 1987, uh, 88 more so, into uh, uh, the 90s, okay, and was when we had a revival. I mean, it, it was just awesome. We saw uh, not only uh, classmates getting saved, we saw siblings, parents, grandparents, uh, different people, not only in our high school, but it began to spread to other high schools, and it just, it was one of the most radical times of my life, and so it just was awesome. I could, I could spend hours and days just explaining all that took place in our high school days, and, uh, and uh, I'm excited about that, and because there was a, there was a freshness, there was a vitality, there was excitement about our relationship with God. With Jesus Christ and and so uh, you know I think a lot of where, why I'm in where I'm at today is because of those that revival that took place uh, I think I got a lot of better teaching as well, uh, things went uh, things progressed and I went to Bible school and different things and going to Karis but you know that got me to have, have a, vita, a, vita, a vital relationship with God and uh, I was I, mean, I grew up in a good Christian home and and everything was good, everything was lovely, but it just took my relationship with God to a new level. And uh, a real level, an authentic level, a relationship level uh, versus a religion. I felt like I was more religious, and that's no disrespect to anyone else, that was me. And, uh, and part of the thing that kicked in the revival for me was I was unhappy of how I was just kind of riding the fence. I was very complacent. I was. Grew up in a good Christian home. My parents loved the Lord, and I did too. But I would—I still felt very distant uh, in my relationship with God, and that wasn't anyone else's fault but mine. But at the same point in time, we had a revival, and it was awesome, and there was a freshness. And in some ways, Sherry and I have had our own revivals. I mean, when we went to Karis, you know, since that was our own revival, uh, because in that season we were going four days a week, four hours a day, hearing the word of God with fellowship and whatnot. And we might not have called it a revival, we called it Bible College. But there was a freshness, there was a vitality, there was excitement about our relationship with God that 
uh, just uh, has been awesome. And so, uh, and the same thing with going on with the other classmates and, and, and people who are coming and attending that Bible college. We've had, in a sense, some different times, even in this church where we've had people come. And we've had our home filled with over 40 people before. Uh, even online, in a sense, we, uh, you know, just our online ministry, we've been uh, live streaming for over five years. At the same point in time, it's in this last year that uh, we, we used to just have about 100 followers on our different uh, social media channels. Now we have over 1,200 followers every week on multiple platforms. And it's not just a volume that I'm talking about revival. I just like this expression that there's a, fre a freshness, there's a vitality, an excitement about our relationship with the Lord. In revival, the miraculous power of God is a manifestation. People are being healed, delivered, saved, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Churches are full and growing, and folks from all walks of life are returning back to God. Now, uh, we saw, I think I saw that more full throttle during my high school years, but I'm ready to see that again. And so <coughs> it's time for the it's time to fill up the churches and uh, it's time for the church to be alive and vibrant again and so uh, that we're all about that so anyway uh, I don't have a lot more much more to say we'll, we'll, I'm, I really want to get to the heart of this uh, chapter so anyway and I know personally for me revival uh, speaks a lot of a transformed life uh, in what God has done and the person responding to what God has done through uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ through you know Andrew talks about healing and different things that are manifest during revival um, but there's there's also that that joy when someone almost almost like when someone uh, comes to the Lord through salvation there is this joy and freshness of that revitalized relationship with God and you know Dave shared his experience in high school uh, there are two movies that we really like one is Facing the Giants and the other one is Overcomer and both are Christian movies Facing the Giants has a school revival just like what Dave experienced uh, uh, when he was in high school and uh, it started out with, um, well, I encourage you to watch the movie, but Facing the Giants, there's the main character is a teacher, a, a coach, who basically every, his life's falling apart, but he commits his, um, his, his walk, his life, everything to God. And during that time with him personally, there is a, a gentleman who prays for the school every day, every day, prays for every student, all the teachers, and he never gave up. Both the, the, the gentleman who prayed and the, the teacher, the coach, um, and a revival broke out at that school where all these kids got saved and, and turned their lives around. And in the movie Overcomer, there's a, a young, teenager who has a horrible life she she lost her parents she steals because she's so unhappy and uh, the principal leads her to the Lord 
and encourages her to read uh, some scripture and study it out. And not only does she have the joy of salvation, but when she realizes all she is in Christ, that totally transformed her life. And that's what we personally like to see uh, in revival is a transformed life, seeing what God has done in that person and for them to get who they are in Christ and what he's done for them. It's just amazing. Awesome. So let's, let's jump into this uh, teaching real quick. God is much more motivated to send revival than you are to receive it. He longs to see this nation and the rest of the world revived and wholeheartedly following him. He desires to see us yielding to the Holy Spirit and applying godly principles from the Word to our lives. The Lord wants us living in revival much more than we do. You aren't going to somehow or another get God to speed up. up I'm sorry. You aren't going to somehow or another get God up to speed with you. That's not what it's about. Yet so much of what is currently being said concerning prayer for revival is all about us begging God to pour out this and pleading with him to send that. It's actually these intercessors that are praying for revival who are getting a tremendous amount of the credit. From their perspective, if they weren't standing in the gap, God would just fold his arms and let the whole world go to hell. They don't believe he cares. They think they're causing him to repent by praying, Oh God, repent, turn back to us. Please don't misunderstand. I used to think that way too. For several years, I begged and pleaded with God for revival with all my heart. I'm not saying that the people who do this are all wrong. Many of them see our genuine need for revival and they long to see God's power manifest. They're just trying to receive it based on the faulty model they've been given. Most of these people assume that God is so ticked off at us that he's holding back his Holy Spirit. Since mankind, or the church as it may apply, has moved so far away from God, what God wants us to do, they perceive him as having turned his back on us. It's like his arms are folded and he's saying, I've given you over, forget you. They picture God with this attitude, and so they beg him, please pour out your spirit on us. Let your Holy Spirit fall on us again. And the intercessors jump in there praying, Oh God, have mercy on us. Oh Lord, don't impute our many sins unto us. We're asking you for mercy, mercy. They're begging God to turn back to the church and pleading with him to have mercy on the human race. This is not a New Testament prayer. You know, uh, Sherry mentioned a minute ago about uh, this movie, Face of the Giants, and in this movie there's Mr. Bridges. And he's the one going, he's going, an elderly man who's going around praying for all the lost and whatnot. And I did that in high school. Um, you know, in high school I used to get up between my junior and senior year, I would get up early in the morning for two, almost three years. I, I got up almost every morning and I went early to school, sometimes even before they opened the gate. And uh, I just would uh, walk around the high school praying, and when I was able to, I'd walk through the hallways just praying. I didn't make a scene. I wasn't trying to look spiritual. I just did what I did. So I did what I did. And sometimes, uh, you know, others would join me and whatnot, and we would pray together. And sometimes it would just be me. I'd be circling the high school, uh, praying for them. And every once in a while, I would get some visions of angels being there and whatnot. And 
Sometimes I get a prayer. Uh, I pray for a certain locker. Didn't even know whose locker it was, and I get a word for them. I write down a verse for them, and a little prayer I put in the, their locker. And did all kinds of stuff like that. And we saw a high school revival, and, and, and I even got labeled in my last two years, my junior and senior year, as a prayer warrior or intercessor. And uh, that's what I was taught, and it sounded good, it sounded right. Like, yeah, that's what I was doing. And and so even in my yearbook annuals at the end of the year, uh, people were like, just would give me accolades for being a prayer warrior, intercessor, and whatnot. And I got a lot of stories I could share along those lines. And we did see things happen. We did see things move. But Andrew bring, brings a new perspective to some of this, what we call intercessory prayer. And he also he, he begins to highlight where people are, and they're desperate for a move of God. I was desperate for a move of God. I'm still desperate for a move of God. But people are praying in such a way that they're as, as God is ticked off, that God is mad at us, that God has left us. Or he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. So the, the whole idea of us thinking that God's left us is calling God a liar. And, and, and so... You know, he said he would never leave us or forsake us. God's not mad at us. He loves us. He, 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 he died for us. We left him. He's not the one stuck. We are. And prayer, intercessory prayer, is not moving God. Intercessory prayer is moving us. We're the ones that need to move. God already moved. We need to be moving. We need to be praying for laborers. We need to be praying for those who preach the gospel so that we can respond. <coughs> we need to be praying for the, the scriptures to come to a remembrance and there'll be a revival in our own hearts. You know when revival starts, it starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with us individually. And then, it go, and then the, the ripple effect of that revival going corporately publicly within a group and then it just it goes uh, beyond that and so uh, there's a lot of things there's some sacred cows that Andrew's going to tip over we want to see revival but some people they're they're going about it the wrong way and and and, and I wish uh, I'm trying to wish I had my thoughts together here um one of the thoughts is you aren't going to somehow or another get God to speak, get God up to your speed. That's not what it's about. Yet so much of what is currently being said concerning prayer for revival is all about us begging God to pour out this and pleading Him to do this and do that. God's already poured out His Spirit. God has already done things. He's already given us so many things that we have in Christ Jesus. If we we just need a revelation what we have and who we are. I'm excited about this Sunday's message because I'm going to be teaching a lot along these lines of what we have. We just need to know what we have. You know, it says in Ephesians 3.20, one of the verses I'm going to be going over this Sunday, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work, where in us. <coughs> God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine, according to the power 
that is working, that's already working in us. And God is not doing something new. We just need to get a revelation of what we have and start operating in that. And he also goes on, please don't misunderstand. I used to think that way too. And, you know, Andrew used to think the way that I used to think, that we could do some of the things and we would ask God to repent and turn back to us. God doesn't need to repent and turn back to us. We need to repent and turn back to him. We need to return to our first love. We need to remove all the distractions and get our eyes focused on him. In this season of COVID and different things going on in the world, most of us, well, excuse me, a lot of us, <coughs> excuse me, I'm talking too fast. A lot of us are so focused on what's going on in the world, we're not focused on God. We need to repent. We need to get back. And I'm not saying that we have to be totally absent-minded what's going on in the world, but we don't need to be so consumed by it. We don't need, some of us will spend more time listening to what's going on in the world than we will the Word of God and the Bible. That is wrong. That is backwards. That is unhealthy. We need to, we don't, we're not asking God to repent and turn back to us. No, we need to repent. Repent means to change our mind. And when you change your mind, you'll change your behavior. We need to repent and turn back to God. Most of these people assume that God is ticked off at us, that he's holding back his Holy Spirit. God's not holding back nothing. God is never, that is so wrong to the highest score. God is not holding back anything. We are the ones that don't know our authority. We are the ones that don't know who we are in Christ. We are the ones that are not applying the things that God has already freely given to us. We are the ones who are ignorant. God has already poured out His Spirit. God is not holding back any. Since, since, since man for... I'm uh, sorry. Forget to stop. Um, since man or the church... Uh, sorry. Since man has moved so far away from what he wants him to do... They perceive him as having turning back from us. See, we have, we have, most of us have removed so far away from what God wants us to do that we think he's the problem. He's not the problem, we are. And we are so deceived in that. We are, some of us have our, such a wrong, religious, misconstrued perception. God is not holding back anything. That is just bad doctrine to the core. God is not, we're not waiting for God. God is waiting for us. I mean, we, I, mean, I want to say some things, but I don't want to offend people. But I want to say it strong enough to shake the tree. And, and so we, God not waiting for us. We're waiting for God. I mean, I'm sorry, I said that backwards. God, we're not waiting on God. God's waiting for, for us. God's already poured out his spirit. God's already given us his word. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness in the knowledge of Him. Everything we need. Everything we need to turn this world up right side up. We already have in Christ Jesus. We just need to know what we have and start using it. We are like a cop who, who's asking the Sarge, asking Sarge to, to, to stop the bank robbery. No! We have been sworn in or ordained by God to, to, to stop the devil. To, he's put all things underneath our feet, the church. God has put all principalities and powers under our command of the church, under our feet. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what I'm teaching about right now on Sunday mornings. And, and, I, and we need to get this. We need to understand we're not waiting for God. God is waiting for us to know who we are and start using our authority. It's like the, the, all the police officers waiting for the, 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 the captains and lieutenants and, and, and sergeants to do the job when they've been sworn in to do the job. Okay? The police commissioner is not the one who's going to go on the front lines. It's the police officers who are on the front lines doing it. Everyone has this role. There, there's, there's something about rank and file, and there's something very powerful and, and, and efficient in, in that. But we need to know who we are and do use our authority. Okay? It, the reason the world is falling apart is not so much because the world is being a world. The world is falling apart because the church is not being the church. And so that's part of my, my, my feelings on that. So, amen. You know, I can piggyback on a lot of what Dave shared, but just to maybe clear some, some things up in case anyone has questions. Yes, God has poured out His Spirit. Yes, He's freely given us all things. But what the church doesn't understand is, or the world for that matter, is He's, he's poured out His Spirit, but not everyone has received Him. In Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If someone doesn't open the door and let him in, then he's just he's just standing there waiting, and they're not, uh, they haven't come to him, they haven't received him. You know, he's he's freely given us all things for life on, and godliness, but if we don't have knowledge of him, if we don't receive him, if we don't take what he's offered, then we don't have it. And there, there's so many scriptures we can go off of Old and New Testament uh, to verify all this. And, you know, Dave and I, we say this pretty much every week. We're not pointing fingers at the church because Anytime it seems like we might be pointing fingers, we've been there, or we've we're pointing fingers at us. We've been there. We've we've prayed wrong. We've believed wrong. We've turned our our back on God for whatever reason in the moment. Um, God hasn't changed. He hasn't run away. He hasn't hid. He hasn't turned his back on us. He ha he hasn't left us. You know, Dave Dave is right. The Bible so many times says. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus himself said it's expedient that I go away so that the comforter can come. Jesus said how important it is for not only for him to go to the cross for the whole world's salvation, but so that he could then turn around and pour out his Holy Spirit like he promised so that we would always have him with us. God is not soft on sin, but he does not turn his back on anyone. He loves the world so much that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He died before anybody could receive him and be saved. And he provided it all so that, that we could live. You know, David, King David in Psalm 23 says that God uh, provides a table in the presence of, uh, of his enemies. 
But what one thing is about this feast, this table that, that God spreads before us, we have to walk over to the table, sit down, and start eating. God doesn't just like start showing food in our mouth. We have to go and receive it. God has provided salvation, but we have to receive it. God has poured out his spirit, but we have to receive it. We have to, excuse me, receive him. Uh, I hope you're, you're hearing what I'm trying to, to get across. God has provided he has not turned his back, but he's waiting for us to do something. And people might say, well, that's backwards or that sounds like works. I'm sorry you, you feel that way, but if you read the Bible, you'll see that God has done all this. He has provided. He has poured out his spirit. He has given us all things. But as a believer, we have a responsibility to to receive, to do something with what God has given us. Uh, look at the fivefold ministry. God has given us pastors and teachers and evangelists, um, and I think I only named three. He, he's given us these men and women of, of God uh, as a gift. And they have a responsibility for whatever God's given them to give to others. For example, Andrew Womack. God has placed him in the fivefold ministry as a minister. And whatever Andrew has received from God, he's turning around and pouring it out into other believers. Um, he, at every uh, event that we have heard him speak at, at the end, he, uh, he, 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 uh, Ask if anyone wants to receive the Lord. He, he, he has that at the, the, the end, and he also walks people through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's all part of that responsibility that God has given him as a minister, just like God has given Dave and I or other ministers whatever we've received. Like I think was Peter says, uh, Uh, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. God, God has poured out so much into all of us as believers. We're to take that and give back to others and use our authority. Uh, and that is what Andrew's trying to get at in this teaching to explain what we have in Christ uh, as part of that believer's authority. Awesome. Awesome. I think we have some more time. Let's go ahead and read a section about Moses. The first few verses of 1 Timothy 2 talk about praying for kings and all those in authority. Then in verse 5, the word says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is now only one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. A mediator is someone who stands between two parties that are at odds with each other, seeking to reconcile them. In the Old Testament, there was a gap between God and man. Sin had separated us, so mediators, like Moses, were needed. Galatians 3.19 says that the Old Testament law was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator, Moses. Moses stood between an angry God and a sinful people. 
In Exodus 32.12, he prayed, Turn from thy fierce wrath, repent of this evil you have threatened to do against thy people. That's a strong statement. God was told to repent by one of his creations. It's hard to comprehend, but that's exactly what Moses said. Repent, O God, and turn from your fierce wrath. What's even more amazing is the Lord repented. Verse 14. Moses stood as a mediator between an angry God and a sinful people. This worked under the old covenant because God was angry. Sin had separated mankind from him and there was a judgment to be paid. Therefore, it was appropriate for, for Moses to mediate. However, now that we're in the new covenant, Jesus has become our mediator. Hebrews 7. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. Jesus forever stood in between a holy God and an unholy people. He paid for our sins on the cross and took upon himself all the wrath and punishment due us from God. This isn't only temporary until the next time you sin. It's forever. He paid for all sin for all time past, present, and even future tense sin. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14. Christ has forever reconciled God and man, has brought the two into an eternal union and harmony. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Whosoever will may receive this gift of God. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he was speaking of God's wrath against sin and sinners. John 19, 30. So if Moses were to stand up today and pray, Repent, O God, and turn from your fierce wrath, that would be Antichrist. It would be standing against and trying to take the place of what Christ has done. Moses' ministry of, of mediation was appropriate in the Old Testament because Jesus hadn't yet come. But now that he has come for us to pray, Repent, O God, don't pour out your wrath on this city, nation, or people. Have mercy on us is Antichrist. You are trying to take the place of Christ and accomplish what he's already done. The way that much of the church has been praying and pleading with God is literally against what Jesus Christ came to do. It's Antichrist. A lack of understanding of the New Testament has caused many people to pray for revival the way that they do. Revival doesn't come by begging God. It comes by recognizing that God loves people more than we do and understanding that he wants us revived much more than even we do. We need to stop begging God to pour out his spirit and <coughs> passively waiting on a lightning bolt from heaven. Instead, we need to praise the Lord that he wants these results even more than we do. We need to believe God's word and release our authority by going out and preaching the gospel. So last step being said here in these uh, two sections that uh, Sherry just read, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, Moses was a mediator between God and the people. But Timothy says that there's one mediator, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Why is he saying all this? Because we just talked about intercessory prayer. I believe in intercessory prayer from a New Testament perspective. But a lot of people, through intercessory prayer, think that we are mediating between God and man. That's wrong. That's, new, that's Old Testament. That's not New Testament. 
in the New Testament, that would be the spirit of Antichrist. Because we would, the word Antichristo, Antichrist, means instead of or against Christ. We're not standing between God and man. Jesus is standing between God and man. And he did that through the cross. Okay, but he's also, he, Jesus is our mediator. And if Jesus is our mediator, he doesn't even need a second one. Okay. But he also, we're not getting God to repent. Moses had to get God to repent as a mediator. But we don't have to do that today. God's not stuck. God, we're in a day of grace. We are in a day of mercy. Okay, mercy and grace. Um, but I also like this part here where, read the last paragraph. Um, I'm just going to read this last paragraph again. The way many of, many of us have been praying and pleading for God is literally against what Jesus Christ came to do. It's Antichrist. A lack of understanding the New Testament has caused many of us to pray for revival the way they do, meaning the Old Testament. Revival doesn't come by begging God. It comes by us recognizing that God loves people more than we do. And by understanding that, he wants us revived more than we even want to be revived. We need to stop begging God to pour out his spirit and stop passively waiting on a lightning bolt from heaven. Instead, we need to praise the Lord that he wants these results more than we do. <coughs> and I believe this is the key right here. We need to believe God's word and release our authority and preach the gospel. We need to use our authority to preach the gospel. People are not going to come to Christ. People are not going to turn around unless we preach. Excuse me. Unless we preach the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is not people going to hell. The gospel. Excuse me. I'm sorry. The gospel is not that people are going to hell, even though that's true. If people don't receive Jesus, they are going to hell. But there's no good news about that. The gospel is good news. The gospel is the birth, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. In short, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay? Yes, if people reject that message, they're going to hell. That's why we need to preach the gospel. If you don't preach the gospel, people are going to hell. And if you preach the wrong message, people are going to go to hell. We're not preaching people out of hell. We're preaching Jesus. The only people who are going to hell are those who don't have Jesus. So we're not we're not scaring people to hell. We're not speak we're not speaking fear. John says in First John four, fear brings torment. Okay, we're not tormenting people. We are preaching the gospel. Yes, it's true. If they don't receive our message, the gospel, they're going to hell. But they're already going to hell if they don't hear the message. Okay? They need to hear the they don't need to know the problem, they need to know the solution. And it's Jesus. And we need to preach the gospel. We need to pray for laborers. We need to pray that we can preach the gospel. We need to believe God's word. He's commissioned us to preach the gospel. And and, and we need to pray for those who are preaching the gospel, for pastors, for teachers that they can have. We need to support them. Paul talked about this a lot. I don't mention this a lot, but we need, we need to support them financially so they can preach the gospel. It costs money to do everything we're doing here. And I'm not just talking about us, but other pastors, but we need to support them. You know, uh, Paul 
had to do what he had to do, and it cost money. And it, it took uh, people to support it. Some churches didn't support Paul. The Philippi church supported Paul, nor did any other church. You know, praise God for the church of Philippi, but shame to the ones who didn't. You know, and I'm not trying to get this on all that, but we have authority to, to, to preach the gospel. And we have authority to support those who are preaching the gospel. Okay? We're not, you know, we're not just sitting, waiting, we're not just waiting passively for God to move. That is nonsense. Okay? We need to get off the pew and we need to get in, we need to start preaching the gospel. Our job as pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. There's work to be do, be done. Jesus said, occupy until I come. There's people who need to be saved. Time is short. People are going to hell. That's why we need to preach the gospel. And we have authority to preach the gospel. We don't need authority from our government. We don't need authority from anyone else. We have our authority from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Commander-in-Chief, Jesus Christ, our Mediator. Okay? And so we need to believe God's Word and release our authority. So, but we, ha we all have authority as believers, but most of us have never used it. It's like a cop who's never used his utility belt, never used his gun, his flashlight, his, his uh, whatever you call stick, you know. Um, uh, but there's pepper spray, everything else he has on that. Uh, he has more than one tool on that gun belt besides the gun itself. He has a laser gun, he, he, I mean a, a taser gun. <laughs> uh, and so he has all kinds of... Uh, 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 weapons okay but at the same point in time we need to use our authority we need to preach the gospel and we need to pray for boldness so we can do that you know i hear a lot of people this is not everyone there's a lot of good preachers out there but at the same point in time some preachers are here they're preaching but they're not preaching the gospel okay they might be teaching some deep and you know i see posts all the time on facebook where people are like why did this happen why did that happen and, and they're, they're, it's supposed to be a christian uh Posts, but I'm like, why are, you, why are you trying to split hairs about something that's so not important? Preach the gospel. Preach how the goodness of God. Preach, it's by his goodness that will lead the people to repentance. We want people to repent. We'll preach the goodness of God. Don't preach the fear of God. Preach, I mean, fear of God is the sense that we have respect and reverence for God. But we're not scaring people to heaven. It won't work. Okay? If you are trying to scare people into heaven, they will run away. <laughs> okay? Who wants to serve a God like that? Okay? Uh, we need to preach the gospel. It's good news. It's, uh, anyway, uh, I can say a lot more about that. But sure, you want to say anything? You know, I just want to uh, piggyback on Andrew's whole point of you know, people trying to, to to pray like Moses in the Old Testament. I could really go off on tangents off this and start preaching, uh, but I'm trying to keep it short and sweet. We need to realize that there's an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. Old Testament, New Testament. The entire Bible was written for our instruction. We can't throw out any of it. 
but to pray a lot like what is written in the Old Testament, we have to be very careful because that was before Jesus Christ. That was before the one perfect sacrifice that God had ordained as his only begotten son went to the cross, a pure, spotless lamb, the only blood sacrifice that was pure and good enough to pay for the sins of the whole world was, it was Jesus Christ. The Old Testament people, Moses and the different ones, and I highly respect them. I learn a lot from Moses, but I can't pray like Moses because that was before the cross. Dave and Andrew have explained that we had the one mediator, Jesus Christ, and there are so many verses that speak on this. It was really hard to... to so they kind of narrow it down, um, and I think I lost my uh, place. But in in Romans, you know, there oh gosh, there's so many verses that talk about this. In chapter five, it says that having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ we have peace with God because Jesus Christ our mediator reconciled mankind with with God uh, in verse verse 10 uh, and I'll go ahead and read to verse 11 too. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And oh, there's so many verses that speak on this. Jesus Christ has reconciled mankind to God. He has reconciled all of us through his sacrifice, through, as Dave said, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't just die for our sins and reconcile us to God, but the only way we have reconciliation is because Jesus Christ rose again. And the, the gospel, this good news gospel that we are to preach has to do with all of that. It can't just be Jesus' death because there's more to it than just Jesus dying for us. Jesus took every sin of every person on this earth, past, present, and future, and he crucified it gruesomely. He took it all on himself so that the wrath of God would not be poured out on mankind but would be poured out on himself. He took that wrath so that mankind could not have to go through that. Instead, for the joy set before him, he reconciled mankind to God so that we could have all barriers, the, the, the veil, everything, stripped out of the way so we could have free and total 
complete access to God so that we can come boldly to him in, in time of need and receive grace. That God would not turn his back on us. God's not light on sin. If people think the gospel is, oh, well, Jesus forgave us so we can go and sin. No. As, as Paul said so many times in the word, God forbid. The grace of God, the forgiveness of sins by Jesus Christ is not for us to go and sin. It's for us to understand and receive the goodness of God so that we can come to him, so we can repent and come to him and know that he loves us so so very much and oh i i could i could keep going but but and i keep keep it to the bible study sherry andrew's point is just jesus christ took care of it, all of it for us he was the only one who could be mediator between man and god for us to pray like moses in the old testament we can't do that that would be you know, Andrew used a strong language by, by calling it Antichrist. When any of us... But it's true. Uh, when it's tr true. When any of us try to think that we have to move God or whatever we can do to move God, we're basically nullifying what Jesus did on the cross. And when we say, oh God, forgive our our town our our nation or you know pour out your wrath on your na on this nation so that they can turn back to god that is antichrist because we're saying what jesus did wasn't enough it wasn't good enough it wasn't perfect enough it didn't work and i oh i i i, I don't know how any of us could say what jesus christ i, I mean i know I know people's heart they don't mean that they're not trying to mean that but that's basically what they're saying or what I've said in the past I have prayed in the past for for God to move or God to do something but when I got the revelation that Jesus Christ took care of it at the cross he was the only uh, perfect sacrifice that could accomplish God's will to uh, bring mankind back to him and, you know if I say anything that negates what Jesus did first of all nothing can negate what Jesus did Th that's just done deal what Jesus did accomplished everything and more but we can in our thinking process in our words and our, our prayers or unbelief we can kind of shut that out and make it of no effect in our in our lives um, it did accomplish what what Jesus uh, fulfilled but it's like what we were trying to share before if we don't receive it it's like that table that was spread before David in the presence of his enemies. If he doesn't go and sit down at the table and start eating, a believer has to receive what God has given. It has to receive the Holy Spirit that God's already poured out. But we do have to receive. All right.
right, great. Well, I just responded to a lot. We got a lot of good people watching today and whatnot. So I just that's why I'm on the phone. I'm not not, not paying attention. I'm actually engaging with some of you. So uh, anyway, well, we're out of time for today. So we'll pick it up next week uh, with this book here in chapter 14, uh, 14 I think we're still in, uh, talking about revival. And then uh, we will uh, see you on Sunday. I have a great message of Sunday. I know some of you are on the other side of the planet. But uh, and you do watch it when you can. But I have a great message coming this Sunday. We're talking about the four prayers of Paul, and uh, specifically this Sunday, I'm talking uh, from Ephesians chapter three. And so, uh, stay tuned for that. Paul prayed more than four prayers, but there's four specific prayers that I'm focusing on. I'm on my second prayer right now. I spent two weeks talking about Ephesians chapter one, and I spent. Three weeks now, uh, coming to Sunday on Ephesians chapter 3. And then uh, we'll be going to Philippians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. So anyway, uh, join us this Sunday. If not, watch in the archives. All of our teachings are on our website at lighthousesandwichup.org as well as our YouTube channel. If you want to contact us, just so you know, we don't respond to Messenger. Okay, there's a lot of reasons for that. I have so many messages coming into Messenger they come in faster than I can respond. I, and there's a lot of reasons why I don't do that. But if you want to contact us, you can contact us through our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Our email is on there. All of our contact information is on there. I'm not going to call you, um, uh, but we, we can talk uh, Do that means. Okay? So respect that, and, and I, I will respond to you. Uh, but just respect the way that we want to be contacted, okay? Uh, don't put your phone number or whatever, or WhatsApp number or whatever on on, on, the, on the comments. I will delete it, okay? Uh, that I've asked you not to do that, so uh, don't do that. So, uh, But if you want me to contact you or us to contact you, uh, we go through our website and go through that channel, okay? All right. God bless you guys. Have a good week.